You're listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Deuce, and today I'll be speaking with author Nuzo Ono about her new book, A Dance for the Dead. Ms. Ono is a British-Nigerian writer who pioneered the African horror subgenre. She has written numerous books and articles and is listed in the reference book, 80 Black Women in Horror. Her writings look at both the beauty and the horror of Africa and Africa. Welcome to the show, Ms. Ona. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Well, you know, in reading your bio, I saw that you have both a law degree and a master's degree. So the obvious question, why choose horror as a genre to write? I think because I grew up in under influences, how do I call it? Under influences of horror. Like most horror writers, I think um, we all started our journey into the genre by either reading or watching horror. And in my particular case, I grew up listening to countless tales by moonlight stories during my early childhood days in old Biafra, which is now um, a part of Nigeria. And these tales featured predominantly terrifying ghosts and powerful deities and witch doctors and evil witches and, you know, wicked stepmothers and uh, transmogrifications, things like that. So I was particularly drawn to the ghost stories during these tales by moonlight. So it was only natural that once um, I grew up, there was this desire in me, this love for storytelling and reading. And when I started reading, um, my, my mom, you know, she was a former head teacher and she had all these books by the Hans and Dassons and the Brothers Greens and things. And I began reading those ones as well. And so inevitably I knew, I hoped that I would become a writer, but from the family I came from, it wasn't um, something that was allowed. So uh-huh. My dad was a solicitor and his brother, my sister, my brother, my sisters, everybody is a family of lawyers. And I married into a, my first marriage was into a family of lawyers as well. So um, I had to do law. And then when my father died, I, I was almost 50. And it felt like this liberation, this freedom, finally you can pursue. And I think when we hit you know, our 40s as women, as human beings, there's this need, this questioning, this seeking, you know, what else do I want to do with myself? And so I went back to Warwick University where I did my first degree and I, uh, we had the, um, Maureen Freely, she's an American um, writer, and um, I, I sent her copies, you know, of my writing and had an interview and there I was, they accepted me into the master's uh, program yeah. writing and that's how it started. Ah, so you were you were actually restrained a little bit by the culture that you grew up in, uh, yeah. and then at some point were able to kind of break out of that. That's fascinating. Yeah, everybody yes, but- that knows Igbo people, Igbo Igbo parents only believe in doing you know a, a uh-huh. proper degrees, medicine, law, engineering, architecture. Outside of those four core degrees, nothing else is seen as worthwhile. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so let, let me ask you a question about horror writing that I'm curious about. I didn't realize that there were different subgenres in horror, like African horror. For listeners who may not be familiar with the, the genre in general, what are some of the other subgenres in, in horror? Well, I always say that we have 
you know, different kinds of horror. Some people go for supernatural, you know, ghost horror. Some people would go for uh, uh, the horror with, uh, 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 what do you call it, entities and, you know, like um, Dracula and uh, uh, Frankenstein and, you know, mummies. Some people might go for sci-fi horror. Some people might go. And then in my case, I, I, I like ghost stories. And so I went into that genre of horror. And apart from that, I'm also writing African horror, which is a regional horror genre, just like we have mm -hmm. Korean horror, Japanese horror, Scandinavian horror, Latin American horror, Spanish horror, just to name a few. So these days, what you find is that readers who have been used to that single voice in horror, which had for a long time been the Western voice, um, which we all grew up in, are now looking for something different. And that's why you find something that people now, like when The Ring came out, the Japanese uh, uh, horror film, The Ring, uh -huh. it, was, it exploded. Uh -huh. So African horror, I call it, is just another regional genre in the horror, you know, uh, part. But, you know, it's, look, I've read the book. We're going to talk about it in a second, and it doesn't really matter where you're from. It resonated with me. Let me, let me ask this question, one more question to general. So when I interview folks who write science fiction or fantasy or horror, I'm always curious, what is the difference in writing it between writing horror, as you've been doing, versus writing science fiction or, and fantasy? Or, or is there some overlap? I think it depends on the writer. Some writers would have an overlap when they write. Others will focus on a, a core. You know, in my case, as I said, I just like ghosts. I love uh -huh. ghosts. And so when I write, I write predominantly about vengeful ghosts with unfinished business. And But I'm sure for, I, I can't write science fiction. I'll tell you that. I can't mm -hmm. for the life of me write science fiction. My imagination doesn't go that far into the future. You know, I think um, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you must have that talent and that skill to be able to allow it. There's this Australian writer, Eugene Bacon. I absolutely adore her work. You know, she's a black um, African Australian writer. She writes science fiction. She writes fantasy. She writes all these things. And I admire the way her mind can travel. Mine can't. I can only... Um, <laughs> Well, it does a pretty good job in your books, too, though. All right, so let's let's talk about A Dance for the Dead, okay? And and let's, for the listener, let's have me, let me ask you to set the setting of where this occurs uh, and, and kind of give us the backdrop for it. Okay, well, A Dance for the Dead, it's set at a period in African history when a very early period in African history when human sacrifices to the gods and cannibalism existed. So that's one thing I need the readers to know beforehand. And then I want them to know that it's an African horror fiction. And so I've taken a lot of liberties as a writer. So a lot of things happening there don't necessarily happen today. So a Dance for the Dead, in a nutshell, is a story about two brothers who find themselves at the mercy of the treacherous manipulations of those they trusted the most. So we have the young Prince Ife, who is a dancer and an alcoholic, and his big brother, Dike, who is the heir to the kingdom and the leader of the fearsome warrior cult, Diogumi. So when Dike is betrayed and ends up inside the Forbidden Shrine to the Gods, overnight, he becomes what we was call an Osu, which means 
an outcast in the kingdom. So to regain his freedom and his former exalted status, DK must make a dangerous journey to the realm of the ancestors. Now, going to the realm of the ancestors is not an easy journey. It's one that could lead to his death or return him to his former glory. So while the evil which Dr. poses an obstacle to this journey, DK is held by the vengeful ghost of his slave girl, who was sacrificed to the gods as a result of the false prophecy of that lecherous witch doctor whose sexual advances she had rebuffed. So in a nutshell, as my blob says, A Dance for the Dead is an African horror tale of sibling betrayal, dark rituals, malevolent curses, and supernatural vengeance. And I can't wait for readers to discover this new horror thrill. <laughs> but you have done a great job of summarizing. Let me, let me ask you this. You mentioned this at, at one point. So sexuality does play a part in this book. In fact, you start off with an African idiom at some point, which I won't repeat. But um, And there are some other references. For example, you have a character named Big Bosom. Is the use yeah. of sexuality in horror unique to African horror? Or is it you know something that appears in other horror? I think it just depends on the story you're writing. And... Uh -huh. What, what 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 your characters are giving you. So for instance, I know in Back Home, um, we tend to call people by their characteristics a lot rather than their names. You get a lot of yeah, people. Yeah. I remember great, growing up, there was a young lad we used to call him Omekawai. Omekawai means him that behaves like a girl, you know. <laughs> so I never knew his name. I just knew him as Omekawai, you know, he that right. behaves like and I, Big Bosom is a love like a lot like me. I've had people call me Aluku. Aluku means Big Bosom because, like her, I'm rather generously endowed up there. So um, I used those things we have to give the characters names that reflect um, their characteristics. And of course, it's a book about it's a male-dominated book. Um, that tells yes. the stories of a lot of men. And so that male testosterone plays a part, you know, in it. Yes. So we, yes. we find them, Dickie, at a point looking at the, um, the the witch doctor and wondering, you know, how can he have, it's surely it's uh, by black magic that he's been able to uh, endow himself so, you know, dangerously and generously down there. And um, we, as you said, you have the opening of the book, um, yeah. That, well, and, and you know, one of the things that strikes me, though, is that it, and, and I really enjoyed the book, but there is you. a sec, there is like a sexual crime or attempted crime at the beginning of the book. And that thread runs through the book as as pretty much part of the evil that exists in this society through the witch doctor. Right. Yes. He embodies everything because I always call them medicine man, you know, and when right. I write my books, when I write about those men, I call them medicine man, the good ones, the ones that practice the art the way it's meant to be practiced, you know, with conscience, with scruples, with honesty. And then the evil ones, I call them witch doctors because that's uh -huh. what they are. I give them the yeah. negative name of witch doctor. So in this book, um, the witch doctor, he's a witch doctor. He's evil. He's vile. And as yeah. you say, that crime he tried to commit at the start of the book was practically what led to everything else, the, the whole disaster, you know, that occurred as a result yeah. of that. 
Yeah. You so say it was a well, chain reaction that started yeah. from his action. Well, you, you know, you mentioned both of these characters already, and they're really well sketched out. You've got D.K. the warrior and his brother Ife, who is also known as Featherfee, uh, which yeah. I thought was really amusing. A dancer, <laughs> but he's also, he, he drinks too much. Um, are these characters modeled on some like well-known uh, literary characters in African culture or just your own creations? I would even call it my own creation. I, I say, I always say to people, my characters dictate to me what they want to be. They tell me uh -huh. what they want to be. I never sit down and plot a story. No. If I get a, a, a vision, if I get an image, I get an inspiration, I start writing and I say, okay, we'll see where the story tells takes me. And sooner or later, it's like DK, he wasn't even part of the story when I started the story. All I had was Ife, the dancing prince. I saw him in his tall and lanky handsomeness. I had his joyous and infectious laughter while dancing. And I felt his harmless energy and easy charm. And I just wanted to write Ife's story. So I began to write, you know, Ife um, and his dancing. And then suddenly from nowhere, DK just creeps in. He wasn't supposed to be there. I had no business with him. But then once he came, I heard him, he was just telling me his story. And I'm, I'm writing, I'm typing, I'm doing everything he's telling me to do. And before I know it, I was resisting because I didn't want him in my story. I you know I, I, he wasn't part of the story. I wanted to get rid of him. And but finally, I had to make my peace with him and realize that the, the brothers bond was so strong that their stories needed to be told together. So without DK, there would be no affair. And that's why I ended up just writing the two of them, creating their characters. Nobody influenced me. I, I don't know anybody that looks like either of the two. But um, yeah, uh, that's well, how you know, they it's, it's interesting because many writers will tell me that if they create a good character, the character helps write, write the story. And that's pretty much what you're saying. Exactly. Do you know I have such faith in my such faith in my characters. Once I start writing, that's why I always say to myself, "Don't worry, don't worry about the story. Just find that character that's speaking to you. Yeah, yeah, Once you yeah. start, they'll tell you the story." Well, the interesting thing to me was, and I thought this was done so well in the book, is that you know, you, so you learn about DK, you learn about Ife, and you're naturally thinking, you know, well, one of them's going to succeed here, one of them's not. But in a way and we won't reveal too much, they both become heroes, right? Yes, yes. Do you know the ending took me by surprise? I wouldn't lie to you because uh -huh. that wasn't the ending I had in mind, you know, ah, okay. especially for Ife, especially for Ife. He was the one right, that got right. me right in the story. He was my original hero. So I had a completely different ending I would have wanted for him, but he chose a different ending for himself. And I, I went along with it. Yeah. But it's a good end. It's a good ending. And look, we talked about the witch doctor there. He is the character in the in the story most governed by personal desires. And I think, as you indicated, he is the he's the evil character that kind of gets everything else. Well, creates pretty much the storyline. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now he I'm not sure. I'm not sure of the correct word here. But in the book, you have done a masterful job of creating a social structure, a cosmology, a theology, <laughs> all of those things together with 
you know, the land of the ancestors and the empty realm and the witch sisters and the deceased warriors. Where do you come up with this? This is fascinating to me. Do you know, I will not lie to you many times when I write my books. Um, that's why I say to people, please give me questions for interviews. If you're going to ask me about the book, um, I'll be in trouble because once I finish writing, I don't read them again. I don't uh -huh. even know where it comes from. When they send me the editing, that's the bit I hate. I will edit it, do everything. And as I'm editing the book, I'm saying to myself, but surely did I write this? Where did that come from? Many times I don't know where they come from. As I said to you, the characters just leave me. This is where they want to go to. And I follow them along. I just sort of write, write. And I've been known to sit down many times when I start writing. I'll sit in front of the laptop and I'm just typing. I'm writing. 20 hours would go. I don't sleep. I'm like uh, somebody possessed. I'm just typing, typing, uh -huh. typing. Uh -huh. And then wherever the story stops, I stop. You know, once it stops, I stop. It could be right. halfway through, it could be at the end, wherever it is, I give it a break. And if it calls me again, I will go back there. And that's why you find I've got like about 15 to 20 unfinished stories um, <laughs> written at different stages. Some are right. halfway, some are quarter, some are almost done. And I just said to myself, well, I'll wait for the one that's calling me. I'll wait for the character. Once he calls me, I'll return to that story and do it for them. So I don't know where all these things come from. And um, <laughs> I just wrote the story. Well, you know what? They they fit together very nicely. Uh, and, you know, there's nothing, as I read it, at least, it wasn't any big leap of faith where I said, well, wait a minute, this doesn't fit. They fit together really well. And, you know, there's also an interesting, there's an interesting piece here that might surprise normal horror readers. There's a the budding romance in this book, right? Actually, romance in this book and just like everything else I don't know how that romance came in I mean it's not a, a very strong you know it's not um one of the core things in the book but it's something that just slowly sneaked in into the narrative um it took me on a west too you know but um, but, it's, yeah. but it's believe it's very believable it's very believable the way that it came about thank you thank you well, I couldn't help but notice that when DK goes to the empty realm, there are what are called the ten old ones who are kind of the fount of wisdom in this society. And they are deities that are evenly split, right, between war and peace, like kind of like a yin and yang. Why is that? Well, because... Um... In, 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 Igbo, in Igbo, you know, spirituality, we also have that kind of yin-yang, you know, good and bad. Um, Igbo's always believe in the duality of things, you know, night and day, good and bad. Um, uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, male, female. Everything yeah. has mm -hmm. a duality. So, of course, the, the, the god of this, um, the deity of this particular village, is the deity of Gunudo, um, peace and war, the deity of war and peace. And it's two-faced. So, of course, the peace aspect of the deity offsets the war, the violence, uh, violence of the other one. 
So that's why when you come there, you find these 10 deities, these 10 spiritual beings um, who balance each other. You know, one is compassion and one is, you know, coldly uh, 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 objective, you know, there's subjective and objective, basically. The other, the other five uh, uh, um, judge in a very subjective and compassionate way. Why the other five are quite objective and remote and, you know, so I think that's why we find them having that duality that runs through everything in Igbo, you know, culture. And, you know, what struck me was, and maybe I'm overreading this, but I'll be curious to get your take on it, that the old ones find their parallel a little bit in Ife and DK, because DK represents, in a way, war as a warrior. And Ife, rep to me, is the peace guy, right? Gosh, do you know I never thought about it till you've mentioned that? That is so strange. This well, is the first not time I've thought about that <laughs> parallel. That is awesome. Thank you for that. Um, uh, I, hmm. I, 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 it struck me when I when I started reading about the ten old ones that there was this parallel, and you know that's true. You know, one of the great things about writing that resonates for folks is when there are universal themes, right? And so it doesn't matter the genre. And I think people can see that in this novel. Uh, they certainly are going to know somebody in their life that fits into kind of the iffy character and yes. somebody that fits into the DK character, regardless of where they are. So exactly. I thought that I thought that worked really well. Thank you. Do you know, I always say to people that, you know, regardless of where you are, one thing I believe is that true horror, you know, transcends all boundaries no matter where you come from. And that's why we can enjoy horror across, you know, different, different cultures and different places and just enjoy a good horror story, you know. Yeah. So, now, and readers, it's funny, readers will always have their own interpretation. You, you write it, but don't worry, readers will find a, a different meaning and their own meaning and it's all valid because what you've just said to me is awesome. I never thought about it like that, but now you mention it, I actually realize, oh my gosh, that is absolutely right he yeah. hit the nail on the head the brothers are actually reflecting those deities you know those spiritual the 10 yeah you know yeah. yeah i think so i think so well all right so there is also kind of a redemption theme in this book it's not the main thought maybe but there is one for for ife a little bit but also for big bosom's father correct yes yes because I always say um, that atonement, that redemption, it's something, I think it came from my days of um, listening to Tales by Moonlight as a child. Those stories, what made them all nice for me was that at the end, um, good always triumphed over evil and it was nice and people were forgiven and it was just nice. And somehow, I don't know why, but when I began writing, I would notice that inevitably my characters would seek atonement some way or the other. It always comes up. And even though personally, I would, in some situations, I would be against it. Personally, I would say, no, 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 I want you to suffer. I want you to die. I want you to really. Inevitably, I find, hmm, the story, they want that atonement. And I let them have it. So you find that if they get his own atonement, you know, when he finally gets to the land of the ancestors, 
um, uh, DK gets his own when he comes back. Um, uh, uh, what Mecca's dad gets his own. Everybody gets their own atonement and except the witch doctor. Him, I wouldn't give him any because I think, as I said, he's the catalyst of everything evil and he didn't deserve anything good. But, you know, underlying all of this is, this is my language, but I hope it fits. I hope you agree. It's a morality play, right? Yes. Yes. Because that's why I always say to everyone, Igbo stories, the tales by Moonlight stories, that's why I love them. They were all tales uh, uh, ripping with morality and telling you, you know, uh, uh, cautionary tales. A bit like yeah, um, yeah. the old fairy tales, you know, the Hans Andersons and everything of old. If, if you do this, this is what happens. And yeah. so there is that morality in, in, in my stories that there are consequences for whatever you do. And Igbos, we have a, something we call Ofonogu in Igbo culture. Ofonogu is a bit like karma, but different. It's the, it's the concept of whatever you reap, you will get it. You will, you know, whatever you sow, you will reap the consequences. But it's different because this time it says to you, be careful on calling on the powers of Ofonogu. Because mm -hmm. if you call on those powers, be prepared to pay the consequences if you don't come with clean hands, as Judge Judy would say. And so you find that in my story, that of Fonogu, that concept of clean hands, of morality, of righteousness, you know, those symbolisms always come up, come up in, the, in the stories so that people know that if you're seeking justice, you have to come with clean hands. If you commit any crimes, be ready to pay the consequences of it. And it just follows that African theme, that Igbo theme, you know, of, of uh -huh. moral justice. Yes, so that's why we have that. Okay. Well, let me let me end with this question because we're about to run out of time. So I like to ask authors why they write. And, you know, sometimes writers will say that they write just for themselves. And some will tell me they write, make a social point or a political point. And a few will admit they do it for money. Well, what motivates you to write? <laughs> My characters. If I have ah. a story. My character. Ah. If a character okay. comes to me and has a story to tell, I'll start writing it. And as I say if it stops telling me the story, I stop writing wherever it stops. And if it tells it to me to the very end, it Dance for the Dead took five years to complete. Uh -huh. um, yeah, you know, and I, I would read, I would go back, a lot of things happening. And I have so many other stories. So the characters drive me. If no character is speaking to me, then I won't write. I just carry on, you know. Wait, you know, doing it, it's, in, it, it's interesting that you say that. So let me ask this question. As a writer, when you write, matter what your genre is, in this case, horror, is it self-reflective? Do you get to work out maybe some of your own issues in, in the writing? Uh, when I write horror, some initially I was working out um, one story in particular, The Sleepless, one book, The Sleepless. The Sleepless, I wrote out a lot of things inside, you know, that was my yeah. story, um, <laughs> very strongly my story. But apart from The Sleepless, nah, Nothing Not else. as much. Okay. No. Okay. All right. Well, unfortunately, this has been wonderful, but that's all the time we have for today. Thank you. You've been, listening to the, you've been listening to the Writers Forum, and I've been speaking with author Duzo Ono about her new book, which I, if you love horror, you should pick up, called A Dance for the Dead. Uh, Ms. Ono, is there a website or other social media site that folks can go to to learn more about you 
or more about no. your books? No, I'm only on Twitter. That's the only place I am okay. up till now. I might soon be leaving Twitter. Who knows? But um, okay. no, no, no websites, nothing, no Facebook, no Instagram, nothing. I do nothing, just okay. Twitter. All right, but books are available on Amazon and other places, yep. correct? Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Mike, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show.